1: What's up, Browns fans? Pumped to have you in today. We have a really, really fun episode for you. I I try to do this every year. I did not have the uh, ability to get to it last year for a myriad of reasons, really. But I, I like to, when the Browns make picks in the draft, they bring these guys in. You hear from them on their own end of things with uh, you know, their interviews and stuff of that nature. You see on YouTube, you read about them. But then I like to take about a week and give people a time to process who they are and then talk to people who covered these guys at their university. Tell me about you know, what they were like to cover, what kind of person they are, what kind of player they are. And I think we have a really good episode that we're going to break this into part one and then we'll have part two on the Browns' last four picks coming up next week but i wanted to get the first four picks out because you know everybody's most interested in these early guys and the browns invested heavily in them and i think we have a group here of uh, of people who covered these teams and these players closely that you guys will enjoy learning about the browns first four selections so um yeah i hope you do enjoy this make sure you subscribe Leave us a review, maybe five stars on the channel here for the podcast. And then also check out that YouTube channel. Click subscribe where you can get all of our live content as we are growing that OBR channel like crazy. Again, just a reminder to help us out. Subscribe today. We appreciate you very much. So. We're going to lead this thing off with Louis Vacare, who covers the Northwestern football team for the Wildcat Report, which is a rival site. So not a ton of, um, you know, Northwestern coverage going on. It was a little, little challenging to dig to find Louis' work, but he does a great job, has some great insights on Greg Newsome. So hope you guys enjoy this first part. Let's get over to our first interview with Louis. All right, so we are going to talk about Greg Newsome because, you know, everybody should be pretty excited about this player. And when I was looking up who to talk to, uh, I, I came across a good name here um, from Wildcat Report. I think this is a, a really good interview, and I, I introduced him just a minute ago off air. Louie, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? We're, we're, we're good. We're good. We're trying to figure out all we can about these prospects the Browns have brought in. You know, I think I, think I am... Uh, an interesting case study because I only really watch the tape and the and the thing we talk about is how well we know these players outside of football and I don't think we always get a great feel for that just in the quick draft process you you know you hear some things about these people but you don't really know and I think that that's a big reason why after uh, the Browns go through their draft every year I try to get people on who have spent time around them covering them writing about them interviewing them and that's why I wanted to do uh, this this usual angle and I and I think that Greg Newsom is a is such an interesting player because not only did he wear some stuff that we you know certainly I love on draft night but just the way he talks and and uh, I think he's very articulate he, he's very smart and, you, and it's no secret to go to Northwestern you have to be a a diligent person you have to be a smart guy you have to be able to handle yourself well and I think Greg did that so I'm I'm interested Louie kind of what your first impressions of him were when he came in? I know he was an IMG guy for a year, and were they really excited about him? Was there a lot of buzz surrounding him when he arrived at Northwestern?
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, my first uh, encounter with Greg was uh, when he was a high school junior. I talked, uh, I interviewed him because uh, Northwestern was recruiting him a little bit. He came from uh, Glenbard. North High School here in the Chicago area, which is the same school that produced Justin Jackson, one of the, you know, Northwestern's biggest star running backs a few years back. Mm -hmm. So I talked to him then and he, he was a long skinny kid, you know, very skinny guy uh, that's really transformed his body over the years. Uh, But then he went to IMG for a year and I think that really helped him because in Illinois high school, people just weren't throwing on his side or whatever. You know, he was kind of an, on an island out there and nobody tested him. And he said, IMG, you know, everybody out there is at his level or higher. Everybody's a four or five star kid down there. And they went after him every day in practice. So he thinks that uh, he really sharpened his game a lot there. And he came in with a lot of confidence. He's a very confident kid. You know, you mentioned he, he's, a, he's a smart guy. He's articulate guy. He's a leader. He's a very physical, aggressive corner. But the thing that stands out the most to me is his confidence. He's got that. He doesn't have a memory, you know, and he is confident in his abilities that he will take on anybody. And he really gave Northwestern secondary its swagger last year. I mean, he he liked to chirp out there, and that's something that, you know, Northwestern hadn't seen too much over the years. So he was the guy that uh, really – brought a lot of that swagger to uh, what they call the sky team, the secondary. And they were number one in the nation last year in pass efficiency defense. So he was a big part of that reason why. And uh, I think he was a great pick for the Browns. I think Browns fans are going to love him. So,
1: you know, a guy who he he ended up playing some his, his freshman year walk me because he didn't in the press conference. He talked about, um, you know, he did get hurt his freshman year, but maybe there was some sort of, plan to have redshirted him, but he decided not to redshirt. What, what what was that story about there?
2: Yeah, that's correct. So he he played in his first game. Um, he didn't start, but he played in the first game against Purdue, and uh, you know he did pretty well, and he earned a starting job right away. I think the next week he was the starter, and he played four games, and then he hurt his ankle. So um i i i can't remember he hes he, he tore something in his ankle ankle or something like that, but he missed he was gonna miss the rest of the season but uh, northwestern won the big ten west that year and they played in the big ten title game and he was healed by then so you know, Coach Pat Fitzgerald went to him and said, You know, do you want to play in the game or do you want a red shirt? And he decided he wanted to play in that game. You know, he was going to take one for the team. He was going to lose his red shirt just to be able to play in the Big Ten title game. Now they lost that game. He ended up starting, he started in the Big Ten championship game and played pretty well. And then he also started in the bowl game. They went, they uh, beat Utah in the holiday bowl that year. So he really, you know, that shows you what kind of a team player he is, that he was willing to forfeit that extra year, you know, that fifth year to come back and play for the Big Ten title. He knew what, you know, what a huge stage that was and what a big game it was uh, in Northwestern's history, really. So he, uh, he decided to play in that game. And then, uh, you know, he started if if I had one knock on Greg Newsom, it's that he has been injury prone. You know, he played that those six games. So he missed half the season his first year. I think he played nine games his second year. So he missed a few in 2019. And then even last year, he missed the first couple games of the season and then opted out. Uh, you know, he, he got dinged up again and didn't play in the bowl game. So, you know, he has had some injury history, but really that to me is the only knock on him. He's a uh, tremendous player all the way around.
1: Do you know what that 2019 injury was? That's one thing I could not find. I don't know if you guys covering him knew, but that often just left it as an undisclosed injury.
2: Yeah, I'm t- I, was, I, I couldn't remember either. I, I thought it might be shoulder, but I can't remember. And I did the same thing. I took a look and I couldn't find anything. And I, I just don't remember, you know, all these years <laughs> blend together after a while. It's hard to keep track. And, you know, the, I'll tell you, Northwestern very secretive about their injuries. They don't like to let, you know, it's upper body, lower body. They're like the NHL, you know, and they don't uh, let anything on if they don't have to. So it is kind of hard to figure out. For sure.
1: No, I understand that. Have you have you when covering him? Has he been a guy that uh, prides himself tackling wise? Is he has he been vocal about that? Because he he on film is is somebody who will come up and hit you. I know he's got a little bit of the injury history you just talked about, and and really ultimately what was probably talked about most with him was the fact that he missed so many games over the past three years. Is there's no physicality issues with him on tape, though. I mean, I think I see a guy who will bring you know, bring himself into people and, and not and not what I call ankle bite and take people's legs out. He likes to try to hit people. Is that something that he's talked about uh, or been vocal? The coaching staff has been vocal
2: about. Oh yeah, absolutely. He he's a physical corner. It has been from the day one. You know, and he's the guy that's he's put on quite a bit of weight. I think he's put on twenty pounds in his college career. So hopefully that'll help uh, with the injury problems and things like that. Because he was a really skinny kid as a freshman, but even then he would he would come up and hit anybody. And he's a guy that, you know, he wants to go after the the number one receiver. I remember last year when they played Purdue, David Bell was the top mm-hmm. receiver in the Big Ten. And Greg Newsom, I mean, he wanted him. He was talking to him the whole game. And he got the better of that matchup. And I, I remember a couple times in that game, especially they'd throw a little – uh screen pass and he would close hard and hit people in the backfield. I mean, he's a very physical guy. He he does not shy away from contact and he's got that mentality. He's the best player on the field and, you know, he's not going to shy away from anything. He's a guy that uh, you know, he I think he enjoys that physical part of the game and if you watch him even in coverage and stuff like that, he likes to He likes to bump guys. He likes to get up, you know, play press coverage and uh, knock their timing off at the line of scrimmage. So I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. He's not like a, you know, a Deion Sanders type that, uh, you know, just covers guys and that's it. He will come up and tackle people.
1: He he's got a great personality, and we have talked about this a little off air. Is he is he a guy that the team was drawn to defensive leader? I don't know if he was a captain in his time at Northwestern, but but certainly a smart kid who very aware of social issues, very aware of the things around him. Uh, and I think that that and I think the Browns talked about this in their press conference with him. Andrew Barry mentioned you know he's a very smart guy, kind of quiet manner off the field, but he's a flip the switch player is what he called him. Is I'm just kind of always curious from somebody who covers him you know, off, off the beaten path kind of just covers him before he's really well known. Is he a guy that, that demanded respect from teammates and got that respect?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He, he was not a captain, but he was, uh, like I said, he was the leader of that secondary and, and he really brought its swagger. He's the guy that brought the confidence and you talk to players uh, now, like uh, AJ Hampton, uh spring practice he had a press conference he's another cornerback and he talked a lot about greg newsome and that he he wants to take what he learned from greg Newsom, just about uh you know his work ethic and being a leader and having that confidence. You know he said Greg Newsom was a guy that was why not me? Why can't I be the best player on the field? You know why can't I make the plays? Why not me? And that's the kind of mentality that they that he brought to that locker room. And I you know I can't emphasize enough that the swagger that uh, the confidence that that secondary had last year and from him especially in that he would get in guys' faces and he would talk and he, he really, you know, he would talk the talk and then walk the walk on the field. So he was, uh, he was a guy that really brought a lot to that locker room. And I think he got respect uh, from every, everybody, all of his teammates as well as uh, opponents on Saturdays.
1: That's awesome. It's great to hear. I'll ask you one question. I try to leave everybody who covered the, these players that I come across or about this topic Um, if you were, you know, you were covering this team, whatever, if a scout approached you, they found you, talked to you and said, Hey, sell me on why Greg Newsome makes sense for us in the first round. Give me your, uh, synopsis of what you would tell somebody for why you think he's a great first round pick and why he ultimately makes it in the NFL. Well, I think he's, he's a,
2: he's a very good athlete. I mean, if you saw, I, I was blown away by his uh, his workout. You know, he ran a four three whatever it was. I think officially, officially, I think it was a four three nine or something like that. Um, he's a tremendous athlete. He's got a, a great work ethic, and he has that drive to be the best. He also he always wants to be the best uh, out there, no matter what he's doing. And I think he's going to push to be the best cornerback out there. He's physical. Uh, he's confident. He's strong. I think he's going to be a, a great fit uh, for the Cleveland Browns. And, and i tell you, you know, you're talking about being a smart guy. I, if I saw the clip of him at the uh, Cavs game last week, and he's wearing a Jim Brown jersey. I mean, brilliant kid, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about getting fans on your side. I thought that was a great move.
1: That's awesome, man. This has been great, really insightful stuff about Greg. I know people are very excited about him and we're happy. And I know Northwestern is trending in a great direction Two round picks for the first time and a ton of talent over that way. And, you know, I'm in the central Ohio area and I can, I can can honestly say that people that support Ohio state really respect that program. So it's an awesome time to cover him. Thanks for for giving us some time, Louie. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jay. All right. A big thank you to Louie for coming on the show. I know it's tough sometimes to, uh, step away from the daily grind most of those these folks have been really receptive and and uh, in doing so and this was a much easier task finding notre dame coverage as it is probably the single biggest media market for a college football independent team there is i uh, was lucky enough to come across tyler james he's at t james ndi on twitter he's their football writer for the south bend tribune he's a notre dame insider as well and had plenty to say about jeremiah owusu koromoa this was a fun interview uh, because he is a fun player, fun person, really interesting guy. So let's get over to our interview with Tyler and yuck it up about the Brown surprise second round pick. Tyler, we're excited to have you, man. I, I, um, you know, obviously talked about you off air for the, for our listeners uh, I'm not a Notre Dame guy, but I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm an Ohio guy. Cleveland gets weird. We get all these different things. Michigan up, up hmm. by Cleveland, you get the Michigan, Ohio State, and then you do get a lot of Notre Dame fans. So I thought in the last two years, the Browns took Peoples Jones. They took Tommy Togiai from Ohio State. And now, now obviously they've selected, uh, who we're going to talk about here, Jeremiah Wusakoramo. So Andrew Berry's doing a great job keeping the wide variety of Cleveland fans happy, man. So I'm pumped you're here. I and you can kind of relate to, uh, our fan base what you know about jeremiah from covering him from his early time he wasn't a big recruit by any stretch and i think if i'm wrong here you can correct me he was committed to virginia originally and then and notre dame came in a little late so talk to me a little bit about what you knew about him as a recruit and then we'll dive into uh, what he was at uh, your time covering him
3: yeah so jeremiah was actually someone that they recruited for the specific position that he played at notre dame which is called the rover linebacker um and it was a new position in the defense that Notre Dame was was using because after the 2016 season, they fired Brian Van Gorder. Well, that happened during the season. But after the season, they hired Mike Elko um, from Wake Forest. And Mike Elko brought with him Clark Lee. Um, and they, they had known of Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa from their recruiting process out there. Um, and they decided to go after him sort of later in the recruiting process here at Notre Dame. And uh, they identified him as someone that, Um, he was, they were the, he was their very first Rover recruit at Notre Dame. Um, obviously that ended up working out, uh, for them in the long run, but they really liked what he could do, his versatility. He, uh, kind of, he was more of a safety than a linebacker in high school, but they, they liked that about him, um, because of some of the coverage aspects that they want the Rover linebackers to be able to do. And so, um, they, uh, Jeremiah backed off his Virginia commitment and was looking at Notre Dame and Michigan state and committed to notre dame it was kind of a funny staged moment on national signing day brian kelly was giving his uh press conference talking about the recruits and they had jeremiah call him while he was giving his press conference and brian kelly answers the phone which he he held the phone up to his ear while it was still ringing (laughs) so it was clearly (laughs) like a staged event uh but he walks out in the hallway and answers it and says hello jeremiah and then they Jeremiah tells him that he wants to sign with Notre Dame or whatever. So um, it was uh, a, a little bit of a, a contrived event, but uh, and give a little buzz around it. But it ended up being worth all of that because he ended up being an outstanding linebacker at Notre Dame in his last two seasons with the Irish.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. Was there in your early time covering his career, his his first year? I think he was more of a scout team redshirt type and then he comes on as a freshman starts starts to look as I'm not sure did he redshirt his freshman year I I think he did right yeah
3: yes yeah he did not uh play at all as his fresh as a freshman and then in 2018 he played in two games and then in practice uh broke his foot and so that sidelined him for the whole 2018 season which was a, a good season for Notre Dame as well um so I'm sure that that was very frustrating for him and um Notre Dame wasn't necessarily looking for him to start that season, so they they were able to to withstand the loss of him but then by the time the twenty nineteen season came around, they were ready for him to take on a prime time role as that starting
1: rover yeah was he was he like Was there buzz about him his first two years? I know he breaks the foot and he's running scout team, but was there like a, we're really excited in the spring before 2019 to get this guy on the field? We think he can be special because he pops, right? I think he had like 80 tackles. I'm reading here 13 and a half TFLs, you know, five and a half sacks, four passes broken up. He made a 2019 impact, not what he becomes in 2020 where he's, you know, everything, defensive player of the year, the uh first team, whatever. Like was, I guess my question is, was there a growing buzz about him, or was it okay? His junior year hits, or whatever, and everyone's, or I guess it would have been his. It was his junior year it hits, and everyone's yep. like, okay, this guy's for real.
3: Yeah, I think there was there was some buzz about that. I think the sort of the the potential that they had, especially being that he was that first guy that they recruited at the rover position, so there was a a belief within the program that he would be. Sort of the peak, or as close to the peak as you could come, to sort of what they wanted from that position. And and the way Clark Lee and Mike Elko like coach their defenses, they would they could scheme that rover out. They could just replace him with a nickel a corner, a nickel cornerback on, on third downs if they wanted to. But as as we saw throughout Jeremiah's career, he he showed that he could stay on the field and cover some of those slot guys, and and they could be comfortable with those situations. So yeah, there was some buzz. Um, of what he could become. I don't know that he, everything was necessarily clicking for him yet. It, it was He needed some time to sort of understand everything that was going to be asked of him at that position. Um, and uh, he certainly, when he was able to get healthy after that 2018 season, took advantage of that.
1: Yeah, he... Listen, we—I've only watched really tape. I mean, I've watched some 2019 tape, but almost as much 2020 as I could get my hands on. And and Cleveland, we were anticipating he would be a very serious target at 26. I just had my guest on before this, where we talked about Greg Newsom, where they took a 26, and and I love Greg Newsom, Northwestern kid. He's you know, I, I we really like him. But the, the the buzz in Cleveland really popped when they traded up to take, uh, Cormo here, Russa Cormo here. And and what's interesting is like. I'm curious, you know, how big of a leader, did, did he have that sort of gravity toward him uh, as, his, as his career wore on, where teammates were drawn to him? Was he a leader? Was he a captain type? Like, you know this stuff from covering them every day. People on the outside, myself, who are just kind of looking in. I've had, a, I, I watched his first press conference with the team, and I was just kind of blown away by the maturity in which he answered questions. The Sort of, even even the vocabulary, like this to me is like, I could see... You know, I played small college football I'm like I could see a lot of people being drawn to this guy was there that magnetism for him at Notre Dame
3: yeah definitely he had the respect of his teammates they all they all appreciated what he did he was he was able to communicate with them well and relate well to guys and I think um, he's an interesting kid he he wants to learn more about all kinds of different aspects of life and uh, he I think he traveled to uh, Brazil I think during for uh, to study abroad program for a little bit for a few weeks and learned some Portuguese he was even speaking Portuguese during his pro day uh, press conference uh, not not, not in any like great took any great lengths but just small <laughs> phrases here or there but um, yeah and so he he's a very spiritual spiritual kid so um, I think a lot of and that's a, a common and, and thing at Notre Dame obviously um so I think that uh he, he was definitely very respected by his teammates had a presence about him and you could even see like just the night of the first round of the NFL draft like people were like this is this is ridiculous why isn't jeremiah being picked like people were being yeah. pretty vocal like this is this is an outrage what is going on how like why are they sleeping on jeremiah because it's that's, that's how well respected he was and i, I don't think it's not a lot of like ball players don't necessarily do that um like on a whim like they're not going to do that just because he's their teammate it's because they genuinely believe in his talent um and they they know the kind of person and 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 uh leader he is
1: well that's that's what we're excited about is is not only are they they're trying to get some more of the accountability toughness leadership yeah. aspect in the locker room and a lot of that is what i noticed just in one conversation he's talking to you know us in the media, and I was just drawn to that idea. So I wanted to get your opinion. And I don't know why he slid. I mean, we I I watch film of this kid, and I'm like, I don't think the Browns have really drafted a guy or had a guy like this. I think Jabril Peppers kind of had a little bit of this, but I don't think Jabril played nearly as instinctual or nearly as quick. And and uh, his you know Jeremiah's traits in terms of his size and speed are every bit as good as what Jabril had at a bigger you know at a bigger frame in terms of how he can operate at his size. So. You know, I don't know. Did you guys know anything about the heart issue there? I mean, I don't know if it's ultimately a reason he slid. There's this rumbling that comes out. The Browns said they were comfortable with it, and if they're comfortable with it, it's not a thing. But was this, like, something that was low-key talked about, or was it kind of always hidden?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I had no idea about it. That was certainly news to me. I mean, we're all sitting there wondering what's going on. Why are people not taking him? And there's people tweeting different things from scouts of, like, this is why, like, he's – you have to, like – have a specific defense to use him and different, uh, explanations. Like from, at least from their st- standpoint of why someone like him would fall. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if maybe like the Isaiah Simmons thing with the Arizona Cardinals not going as well as people thought, at least in, yeah. the, in his rookie year, maybe that has something to do with it. I, I don't, they're not exactly the same player, but I think there's some similarities there. Um, I, I jeremiah certainly isn't a huge person like he he's he would be an undersized linebacker but he plays physical um and uh, i think uh to me it, like it the the heart news was surprising but it was also like okay this makes way more sense than defensive coaches in the NFL not knowing what to do with him because sure. like uh, if it uh, like is the are we saying that okay clark lee Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, he's just like one of the greatest Football minds in the world, which I think <laughs> clearly is a very, he's a very smart guy, and I yeah. think he has a very bright future. He got hired as Vanderbilt's head coach in this off season. Um, that's his alma mater, so he's got his hands full at Vanderbilt. That's not necessarily an easy program to win at, but um, he he definitely knows a lot about football. He, he's a guy that if you sit down and listen to him talk, you learn something every time. He, he's like a professor as as a football coach. So um, I, I I don't know. It was it was very curious to me to see him falling, and even even. Me, more perplexing if the reason was like he's too like he's too much of a tweener and they can't figure out what to do. So I, I don't know. He's he's a ball player in my eyes, and just put him out there, and he's going to make some plays for you.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head between the Isaiah Simmons thing. Maybe some low key rumblings about the heart. And uh, a mixture of maybe some teams don't have that position. Even if it's not like we can't use him, some teams just prefer not to use that type of player. The Browns do, and that's why I think it's a hand and glove fit. So uh, great insights, Tyler. Last question I'll have for you go, man, is kind of sell the Browns fan base on the type of player they're getting with Jeremiah. Like, just kind of like if you were talking to uh, a scout, if a scout asked you, Hey, man, what did you think of him covering him? Do you think he's a real player? Just kind of tell me your overall comprehensive thoughts of him.
3: Yeah, he's a good kid. He he uh, has his uh, head straight on his shoulders. He knows knows what making it to the NFL means to him. It means a lot to him. He takes a lot of pride in his work as a player. Um, he's a freakish athlete. He can do all kinds of things that you ask him to. In my opinion, like certainly he could be a third down defensive player, but I, I don't think I think he plays all the downs. You don't ever have to take him off the field. He could play him on special teams. I think he can do a little bit of everything.
4: So I think that's why uh, coaches and Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: And fans should be excited to have Jeremiah Wusukormo on their team. He's a guy that's going to get after it. He knows that not everything's going to be given to him. He's willing to work for it. Um, and uh, he's going to tap into every ounce of potential that he has and, and put everything he has into it to make uh, his, his NFL career a success.
1: Listen, Tyler, this was fantastic, guys. He He's the football writer. He covers Notre Dame for the South Bend Tribune. Uh, if you want some more information on Notre Dame or follow along with him, you should follow him at TJamesNDI. Make sure you're doing that good football insights and a fantastic guest. Tyler, thanks for taking time for us, man. really appreciate it, and hopefully we can touch base in a couple of years when we got a Pro Bowl player here.
3: No problem. Sounds like a plan.
1: All right, we keep chugging along here. We are going to continue looking at the Browns' first two-day picks here. Now, we touch on Anthony Schwartz, who, if you have not followed along, there's been a ton of great coverage about this young man. I think it's it's a testament to how well he is received by his uh, his peers, those who cover him, and those who care about Auburn sports. They just really like Anthony Schwartz. And I couldn't just interview one person. We lead off with Jeff Shearer. He covers... Uh, the, the the Auburn football program and basketball program, senior writer for AuburnTigers.com. He does fantastic work. So I wanted to get his opinion from working with Anthony up close and personal. And then there was a really, really great series called Road to the Pros. It caught my eye, uh, especially how they covered Anthony from every angle uh, through Alabama.com. So I wanted to really dig in on who Anthony is. And the best way to dig in on who he is, not just interviewing Jeff, but then going around and kind of interviewing the folks who are doing this Road to the Pros because they get an up-close and, and personal feel for these people better than I can, uh, obviously, just even watching the show. So I had Gianna Han on who, who is the writer covering this. She's not the videographer. She's the writer covering it. And she has some great insights and it's a four part series covering his time in Miami Well, covering his track days leading up to Auburn, who he was before he got to Auburn, his time at Auburn. Then episode three is kind of his training program in, in Florida and all of that and how he's working to get better. And then the draft day one, which was just dropped, which was fantastic kind of showing his draft night and his time with his family and his moment with his mom. It was all really great. So I wanted to have Gianna on to talk about it. So you're going to hear Jeff's interview first, then Gianna. I hope you enjoy it because Anthony Schwartz is a really fun person, fun player. And I think the Browns are, are going to be better for having him. So let's get over to those two interviews real quick. Jeff, listen, man, we're talking about speed in Cleveland, something they desperately need in their offense. And they landed it with Anthony Schwartz and I'm checking around, looking for people that have wrote stories on him and did a nice job covering him. I came across your name, obviously at AuburnTigers.com. I could not thank you more for joining me, man.
5: I'm uh, happy to do it. And uh, as a native Ashlander from from the Buckeye State they're not not too too far down the road down I-71 from Cleveland it's uh, always great to talk to people from northeast Ohio and uh, Anthony Schwartz is is excited to be a Brown and I hope Brown's fans are excited for what he's going to bring to Cleveland for sure.
1: We absolutely are man what a small world that is when we connected and talked about that off air that is that is unique it's like Ohio just goes everywhere so we'll stick to Schwartz though because you and I could probably do about 30 minutes on the Buckeye State (laughs) but we'll we'll talk about the burner man he. Tell me a little bit about, you know, SEC speed is a thing. And, you know, up here in Big Ten country, we talk about the SEC probably more than we care to talk about in general or admit in general, I should say. But the SEC speed is a real thing. And Anthony had that. He had world class speed. Was that something when he came into Auburn, people were like, we got to find a way to use this guy right away. He can get on the field for us early.
5: Exactly. To the point that even throughout his freshman year, there, there were real questions about, is this a track guy or a football guy? Because he's, he's really good at both of them. And even I think in Anthony's mind, even through his freshman spring, after his first football season into the, the track and field season of his uh, freshman season, freshman year, there, were, there still was that question of which one of these is he ultimately going to pursue full time? Because he said as much that, he really didn't know if he'd rather be a gold medalist or an NFL player and again that was three years ago and obviously since then he's exclusively devoted himself to football but this is a guy that whose speed as you said was world class and you know, the track and field high school athlete of the year nationally just not not too long ago so he's someone whose speed obviously that's that's a weapon that attracted the browns and it's one that attracted a former auburn coach Gus Malzon when he recruited Anthony out of Florida. And obviously that's something that they wanted to to take advantage of that right away, because in, in space, you're not going to catch him, right? If he, if he runs by you, or if it's just, if it's a foot race, you're not going to win that. So that's the reason that he was successful in the sec. And obviously that the Browns invested a pretty high draft choice on him.
1: What, what, at what time did he, um, Jeff, did he give up track and field or did he continue it through most of his Auburn career?
5: I believe he was only on the on the track team through his freshman season. So that would have been the spring of 2019. And then I think he has been full time football the last last couple of years. Obviously, the 2020 track season kind of ended before it got going, really, last March. So maybe that helped make his decision for him. But I think he was already leaning to to being a full time football guy after by 20 by the 2019 football season.
1: Yeah, good good stuff there. Is is Gus I, I would imagine now that the coaching changes happened, there's been some things that have gone on there, but before, you know, before Gus left, there was it was exciting to me to see him in that offense and did he did he give praise was he was he a guy I guess it's tough because there's track guys and there's football guys and there's there's a little bit of maybe this guy isn't tough enough and I know that Anthony talked about that when he was drafted and leading up to it, I've seen videos of him being a little bit annoyed by it. Like was there an element there where they they wanted to feature him more and he couldn't quite handle it? Because you talk about the four two speed and it's like you would think this guy would be used in a bunch of different ways and it would work for thousands of yards, but it just it just didn't quite take off. So I guess my big question is, you know, now looking back on what happened in his last two years there, kind of why didn't he produce at a crazy high level that would have maybe launched him into a first round discussion? I think
5: a lo- part of the plan was to get him the ball in space. And the, one of the easier ways to do that was to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage to him or give it, hand it off to him on jet sweeps. So he was used in a short passing game and then as a deep threat where you take your deep shots. I don't know that he was ever featured extensively as 15, 20, between 10 and 20 yards downfield. So I think it was, hey, let's get it to him uh, close to the line of scrimmage and let him, let him go to work or, or throw the home run ball to him. And I think at the next level, I would expect that that intermediate passing game is going to be a part of it that really wasn't here uh, to a a large degree.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to try to do exactly those things you said, but then try to expand with him slowly, kind of the way they've tried to work Donovan Peoples-Jones into being more of a complete player who they took out of Michigan last year. So... I'm interested too, you talk about he fits a niche. That's okay. Guys get into the NFL and if you can fit a niche, you can last for years. It's the guys who don't get a niche at all that end up falling out of it quickly. And he has a trait that gives him that ability to to find a niche in the NFL. And I'm curious about him as a person. You know, we talk about players that, that get picked early. It doesn't just have to be quarterbacks, but they have that sort of personality that forces them into the limelight of a team captain or a guy who you just, you spend time around him and Jeff, you, you interviewed him and talked to him. Is he a leadership type guy? Is he a people that people, a guy that people are drawn to, or is he just a guy that ultimately fits in, which is okay too. You know, there's nothing wrong with that in any stretch, you know, guys just have to fit in sometimes, but I always like to get a feel for the person. I know I've seen some things about his uh, interest in theme parks and Star Wars and a whole bunch of He's a unique guy, but I was just kind of curious about his personality. Is he kind of quiet, sullen, or is he more outgoing leadership type?
5: Yeah, somewhere probably in between. He's an easy guy to, to, uh, he's an easy guy to like, I'd put it that way. He doesn't, yeah. could come off as arrogant or boastful or anything like that. He knows that he's been blessed with a skill set that not many people on this planet have. And, and he knows that that's has put him in the position that he's in. And, and yet he's, he doesn't have the big head. I don't know that he's, I would consider him a vocal leader, a kind of that rah-rah guy that's going to try to rally everybody, but that's okay. You, I think you already have that in your quarterback uh, up there. I think he, he just wants to do his job and enjoy it and uh, grow and, and break into this profession and, and see what he can do. But one thing that I admire about Anthony you talk about toughness and is he a track guy who plays football or is he a football player? Well, he played special teams and he was on the coverage units, obviously taking advantage of, of that speed that he has. And, uh, and that tells me something about him right away that you got to obviously to be a special teams player, you need to be unselfish and, and a team guy. And I think that that's one of the things that Anthony Schwartz is.
1: Yeah. And that, that really sells some of the thing, the last question I ask everybody I have on, which is like, you know, if I was a scout and came to you, we were drinking a cup of coffee, chatting, and I said, Anthony Schwartz, sell me on this young man being successful in the NFL. You know, it could be personality, could be play based. What do you think he ultimately becomes in the NFL? Like, what's his selling point?
5: I think you have to start with speed, just because that that's the reason that he is where he is, because he can run that four two six or 429 four, at the combine and a four two six unofficially at Pro Day. And if you can find ways to maximize that. Then you're going to have a home run threat there, and also I think he's a guy who's going to be good in the locker room. I don't he was I never heard of anything off the field that would uh, dissuade a team from investing in him. Obviously, the Browns probably found agreed with that when they did their due diligence. I also think he's someone. He said right now he's going to be working after the mini camp before training camp down in uh, in the Miami in South Florida area. Uh, And Jarvis Landry is down there. And I I think Jarvis is someone who's going to be a mentor to him. And that's the way that that Anthony looks at that. And I think he appreciates having somebody who's been in the league for however many years Landry's been in there, who plays his same position. And uh, I think he's looking forward to kind of learning the ropes and learning what it takes to be a professional and to succeed at that level.
1: That's a great point about Jarvis because Jarvis is not a runner. He can't take the trait that Anthony has, but I think Anthony can learn a lot from Jarvis from the nuanced perspective of that position. So Jeff, listen, man, this was great stuff. You can find Jeff's work uh, on Twitter. You can find it at auburntigers.com. He does great stuff. Listen, the Browns are always going to be interested in players coming out of Auburn. I am sure Jeff, that we will connect in the coming years, maybe to talk about another fantastic talent coming out of that university. I could not thank you more for your time. Make sure you follow him. I will post his uh, Twitter handle, in the uh, description of this podcast, and, and you can check out all the work being done. Jeff, again, thank you so much for this.
5: My pleasure, and uh, have a great season up there with the Browns.
1: Gianna, Browns fans should be, A, really excited about Anthony Schwartz, who we've talked about, but B, I think that they get an inside look at this young man from a unique perspective. Not only the video work you guys did, but also the write-up that you did, which is just phenomenal stuff. Talk to the Browns audience here kind of about what that was like for you to cover Anthony from that inside perspective. Because it was real real access that not many people or players, I should say, give.
6: Yeah, so I actually didn't start covering Anthony until his sophomore year um, because I just started at Auburn. So I only knew him, you know. On like that one level of one year outside of pandemic, but I did my research coming down, and I was reading all about the fastest player. He's the fastest player in college football. So, over the course of working on this project, I actually got to learn like where that came from because I was looking at his track times and like, he didn't really like blow up the SEC when he was running track. So I was like, where did this come from? So I had started um, actually last year. We, we do one every year a series called Road to the Pros. And last year, a videographer asked if I wanted to come along and do a written portion of it because it kind of can explore a little bit, a different side of what the video can. So this year we went down to Tampa and then to Miami first to follow Anthony through his draft workout and then follow or then meet his mom and all like his mentors, his coaches, his grandma, all those people. Um, And It was just really cool. I learned so much more about him. Um, I learned that the fastest player in college football is very, very legit. Not only did he set a world youth record um, as a track star in high school, he ran a 10 flat in, in high school. But then Bleacher Report went out and looked at all the like running times and like uh, across the country that was that were playing football at the time, all the college football players, and compared them. And they used a variety of different things that they're looking at, and they determined that Anthony was indeed the fastest player. Um, and just, like, getting to know him was really cool from the player perspective, from that background perspective, also as a person, because, you know, he, you might think he's one sort of way from the way he either talks in press conferences or mainly on social media, but he's actually this, like, really quiet, down-to-earth guy um, who isn't afraid of the fact that he's a little bit of a nerd and loves like Star Wars, and really loves Star Wars and loves soccer and not and play FIFA and not like Madden or 2K. So it was just a really cool all around experience to get to know him. And he was amazing to work with. He was always willing to answer the phone if I need to check something and, you know, introduce this to everyone that was important in his life.
1: It's awesome. We can, I mean, I've watched all of them. I would I would suggest all Browns fans spend the time not only watching them, but reading the write-ups because you get some things from the write-up that you don't get from the video and vice versa. So you guys did it in four parts. Can you kind of tell everybody about those four parts and sort of what they would be getting into?
6: Yeah. So the first part is about, it's basically supposed to be childhood to his Auburn career. Um, but I think the most important thing that you're going to get in that one is all that track stuff, um, I actually go into it in the writing deeper in episode three but in the first one in the video they start to lay it out and I also laid the groundwork so you hear about how he got in the track um, and like how that speed developed it was funny because we asked him where the speed came from and he was like my mom says she walks us and my dad said he ran track I think it came from me and then his mom claimed it and his dad claimed it and his coaches claimed it. So it was very funny to learn about. Um, So you just kind of go through that. You learn about his football dreams. Um, You learn a little bit about his childhood. Something we didn't get super into that's really, really cool. And you might've seen the tweets is that his little league coach made this team and kept them together from six years all the way through high school or to high school. And then the high school coach took over and then that high school ended up having I think seven yeah seven guys drafted or signed with NFL and a ton of them were on that little league team so that was just really cool to learn about we talked to uh his coach Patrick Sertan and then now his son was one the first round draft pick so that was really just like who is Anthony what made Anthony this person and what led him to go to Auburn because you'll see he was a huge gator fan. so in episode two simple it's it's auburn career um so for like nothing with anthony simple because you know you have that track thing so you learn a little bit about him on the field for football but also him on the field for track um and so because he was a two-sport athlete which is just crazy and then i think one of the most important or most important one of the most interesting things to come out of that was at the end of my first year covering he made like huge headlines because he told everyone okay now i have to decide between pursuing an Olympic career and pursuing an NFL career. And he told us that like, while we're doing this, that that was actually just set out of frustration. He never, ever planned to like walk away from football because football is his first love. So that was probably the most interesting tidbit from there. Um, then we go into pre-draft. And so that's where I start getting into the track stuff because like from the written perspective, because he said the biggest Detr- like what his detractors are saying the biggest thing they pointed out was that he's a track guy you know track guys are softer they only have straight line speed and they can't translate it into the football field and he- so he was explaining that no he's a football he's always been a football player track came later he only did track to improve on the football field um so we talk about that and then i wanted to display just how committed he was to football by showing that he walked away from like <laughs> making some serious money as a professional track athlete. So that was the third one. And then the fourth one just dropped today. Um, so Thursday after the draft, and it's about just like draft the party. Um, that was what the video is. It covers like what it was like leading up to it and the moments that he got drafted. And since I interviewed them a little bit after the videographers did, I also got into what it was like for him to go to Cleveland to explore it and where what he's looking forward to what his mom is looking forward to I'm planning to reshare this later but I think a really funny little thing it's it's just a little thing but Anthony and his mom have never seen snow so they're gonna get to <laughs> see a whole lot of that when yeah. they get to Cleveland so um yeah it, it's just like it's four different stages of his life leading up to the biggest day of his life and what that was like for him.
1: Yeah, it's, you, it's really unique. And I, I mean, I that you saying that about Anthony and Snow, it's, it's funny because I played small college football in Ohio and we bring a lot of guys up from Florida and they had never known mm-hmm. anything to do with Snow. And it was always really unique to watch them see Snow for the first time. So I'm sure that'll be a really cool moment for him and his mom. But like, what's interesting to me, were you able to join them on their draft night, like at the house?
6: I wasn't able to. A different videographer did because okay. I cover all of them. So we like I had other players to be keeping track of and stuff. Sure, but sure, I wish sure. I could have.
1: <laughs> yeah, really, really cool, man. And, and I think that I had commented on somebody noting it today. It was a really unique video. And it's just I'm a sucker for any draft video because <laughs> his his moment with his mom is just like it's just really cool. And I think that's the biggest thing is is how much. You know, he's got a lot of people in his life and he's connected Mm -hmm. to a lot of different folks because he's built relationships with important people like famous people like Patrick Sertan and that the Mm -hmm. connections and he's training with Randy Moss, but it's him and his mom. And that raw moment is really unique when they're hugging and kind of sharing that moment together that that's his person, right? Like his some some people don't always stay close to their mom, but him and his mom have a special relationship, right?
6: For sure. And I mean, I was talking with my coworker who runs the whole project today and uh, he was like, I hope like that wasn't too embarrassing for them. And I was like, no, that's like what makes him real. You know, that really shows you who he is. But the interesting thing is, and this is also coming out soon, um, doing a story on Auburn players and their moms. And that's just like the type of guy Auburn recruits that might sound like a marketing thing that they always Not talk cool. about. But as I've gotten to know the players, like every single one of them is kind of like that. Like their moms just mean a lot to them. And so it's really sweet. And it's cool to see that like com- that raw emotion that just came out. It was I I got a little (laughs) (laughs) cheery.
1: Hey, so did I. I think everybody should. Those are unique moments for those guys. Well, she's Gianna Hahn. She's at Gianna underscore Jade on Twitter. She she covers everything Auburn. She covers the beat for them. I am sure that this will not be the last time we'll cross paths because the Browns will continue to draft Mm -hmm. out of that great school down south. So, Gianna, thank you for taking time for Browns fans. I will make sure to link your work, uh, all of it in the bio of this, uh, this podcast and check it out because it should go around Cleveland. Cause Anthony's a unique guy and John and her, her, her videographers did a fantastic job covering it. So thank you so much again.
6: Of course, no problem. And I hope you guys have fun covering Anthony and seeing him bring, as I said, flash to the Cleveland Browns roster.
1: Okay. Last, but certainly not least is James Hudson who has, who has really a remarkable story. If you did not pay attention, he was a young man who started at Michigan And, um, you know, he spent time there defensive line as a recruit out of Toledo, eventually switched over to offensive line after his redshirt year and then left the program, uh, you know, citing depression, having some issues mentally that him and Jim Harbaugh had a squabble over the validity of those issues. He tried to apply for a hardship to go to Cincinnati and be eligible right away. That request was denied. Uh, by the NCAA he eventually got back that year and played in the bowl game they approved him to play in that but um, just an interesting process he goes then down to Cincinnati and plays left tackle and the Browns take him in the fourth round a little bit surprising but when you watch the film which I have broken down his tape uh, really really detailed breakdown of who he is as a player I like him a lot and I like him for what the Browns are going to want that player to do and down the line Truly has starter potential, so I, I certainly see the traits that the Browns like, but an interesting young man who has a story unique, a personality that is unique, especially when you heard him talk in his press conference about his studying of Joe Thomas tape and his excitement to be in Cleveland, and he uh, he had mentioned even that he was, he was expecting Cincinnati to take him with the pick after Cleveland, so... He, uh, he said that kind of was floating around in his head, the the ability to stay down in Cincinnati. But even better, more excited to be traveling up I 71, playing in Cleveland. And uh, the Browns are excited to have him. I think he's excited to be in Cleveland. And this is an opportunity to talk about the young man. And I think Keith Jenkins does a fantastic job. He's at Mr. Keith Jenkins on Twitter. He is the uh, multimedia journalist, speaker, and host. He does many things. He's a Cincinnati Bearcats reporter for the Inquirer which is cincinnati.com. He's uh, he's well worth a follow if you're into anything Cincinnati sports, especially the Bearcats, basketball or football. Let's get over to his interview because he's got some great insights on James Hudson. Okay, I'm pretty pumped to have Keith here. He's, he, he covers Cincinnati football, does a fantastic job of it. A lot of excitement around that program right now. A lot of draft picks. Uh, a lot of guys we were interested up here in Cleveland, and they came away in the fourth round. You know, we talked about it on air when we did our live broadcast show, Keith, about that maybe the Browns would be interested in the at some point. Having the best line in the NFL last year, we're kind of like, okay, maybe they won't invest a high pick, but they really like James Hudson. So talk to me a little bit about your time covering him and uh, what Browns fans can ultimately expect from this player.
0: Yeah, James is a special player. He's a he's a uh, extremely talented player. He's huge. Um, and I think the, the most intriguing thing about James – is having a player of his athleticism, his quickness, um, at his size. You just don't see that often. Um, and he, the, the thing that I think pays dividends for James um, is he didn't start his career as a left tackle, as an offensive lineman. Yeah, uh, He came into the college ranks as one of the top uh, defensive ends in the country and uh, made that transition. So the Browns got a steal late, I think, Um I think had James played for, you know, a a larger program, a power five, quote unquote, program instead of Cincinnati, he'd probably have gone sooner. Um, But given that he played his and had his best year at the University of Cincinnati, a a non-power five, a group of five, I think that kind of shows you why he tumbled a little bit. I think on most boards, he was a late third round pick um but to be able to get him at you know where they were able to get him at um it's a huge win for the browns and they got a really really good football player
1: yeah i think the thing that i noticed when he speaks or when he had a chance to talk to the cleveland media here for the first time very articulate guy like i just thought he was very thoughtful had a lot of you could tell he's been through some things at the college level come out on the other side feels better for it talk to me a little bit and enlighten the fans here there was an issue when james left michigan i think there was a note of uh, some depression that he was feeling and decided to leave the Michigan program. And Jim Harbaugh fought that a little bit, which caught some national attention. And I, and I think that we get lost a little bit looking at criticizing Jim Harbaugh and all the stuff that came with that as the person, you know, is, is what James was able to come out on the other side. So I know you weren't necessarily covering the team at the time, but you were aware of the things around it. So kind of touch on that if you can and, and teach uh, Browns fans how he came out of that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, just with, with, with James's background, you know, he was a top rated defensive end. Um, he committed to Kentucky initially and then uh, backed out of that commitment, wanted to enjoy the process of, of, of being uh, recruited and, and, you know, how fun that is and whatnot. And then John Harbaugh came in, scooped them up and went to Michigan. And he went from having to be a defensive end to then them transitioning him to offensive tackle, um, which obviously would be a tough uh, transition, probably mentally more than anything um, for a young man who, you know, earned his success on the field as on the defensive end. Um, So him transitioning to that was a tough challenge, but he accepted it and went with it. And then um, he decided to enter the transfer portal, um, citing depression, and then Cincinnati scooped them up. Like you said, John Harbaugh fought that. Um, and I, I think so that that created a bit of a turbulent uh, exit from Michigan and then a turbulent entrance into Cincinnati. Um, and then he played a game at Cincinnati. He filed for a hardship. It was declined. Um, and so he had to sit out a year. And it was just a really weird um chapter in James Hudson's college career. And then, you know, once he got on the field at Cincinnati, at a left tackle, he really only played one season um, at that position, but he was great. He was great. He was dominant. He was all conference. Um, And he, he, you know, you see quick feet, you see strong hands, you see a decisive player. Um, You just, you see a freak athlete at that position. Now the challenge, I think with James is okay how is he going to do against elite pass rushers in the nfl yeah. he's a great athlete um but you're transitioning from the american athletic conference again cincinnati's a great team they have great talent they got power five talent on that team but they're playing against teams that aren't you know nfl team right the caliber sure. um they're not playing in the sec they're not playing in the big ten um so when he faces these elite pass rushers i mean heck He's going to have one in his own division um, with, with pittsburgh and in watts so um but that's going to be the challenge to see okay you know he's this great athlete but then with his inexperience at the left tackle spot um how will he transition um into the next level i think he'll do well i think he's a hard worker um i think he's uh he's a smart player he made a bad decision in the bowl game you know i don't want to yeah. jump um, in the Peach Bowl, he had a he had a personal foul penalty, a targeting penalty that that um, proved to be costly for Cincinnati, um, and he admitted that it was a mistake, it was a it was a bad judgment, and I think that was another thing that maybe dinged him a bit on draft day, um, and that was a, something that he had to address and and talk to a lot of teams about, um, and he claims that it's it's past him and it's beyond him, um, and you just got to take him for his word on that, but you're you're getting a guy who's a great athlete, a great teammate, a hard worker, um, and a guy who who I think the, the cool thing about what James and his perspective is having played defensive end at a high level, he kind of knows what to expect from that position, right? Um, so that's kind of a cool perspective that James brings at the offensive line spot.
1: Yeah, I think that you made a couple fantastic points there, especially, especially who he's going to have to face. The good thing for him is he will get Miles Garrett, Jadevian Clowney in practice, Tack McKinley, and and that can that can hopefully open your eyes early because they're some of the best doing it. But he does also get the best offensive line coach we consider in the NFL, Bill Callahan, and they're really I mean Callahan raved about him, so we're pretty excited from that perspective of a guy. You know, bringing the experience Bill does on the offensive line to speak so highly of him is really neat. So pretty pumped about that too. And, and, and yeah, you're right. I think some of the things that you see with James is that the stories, the national stories that get run about the depression stuff, the reason he left the block the transfer. And then you're right. Again, the, the hit that defined the peach bowl, right. Or what? I think it was the peach boy. The, the, the yep. thing that yep. the defined the whole game was, You know, he he loses his ability to play in that game and then the left tackle to replace him big fellow, but could not handle Aziz Ojolari. And it ends up uh, costing him a lot of a lot of attempted uh, drives there that cost the game. So James is important. And I think that that put it under a microscope and and we're excited to have him. Listen, last thing I'll ask you, Keith, I've kind of asked everybody that I've I've brought on about the players they cover is just kind of the person like was he a guy that his teammates were drawn to commanded respect the leadership? I don't know if he was a captain or not. It's kind of tough to track that information down sometimes, but not that you have to be a captain to get the respect of your teammates around you, but just kind of what person are the Browns getting maybe as a player and then the communities, things like that.
0: No, he, again, he, he's a really good dude. His teammates loved him. Des Desmond Ritter, um, big fan of James for obvious reasons. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. a, he's a big part of, of Desmond Ritter's success, but um, you know, I've, I've done stories, a few stories on, on the offensive line. I've talked to, uh, Ron Crook, the head coach, the, the, the offensive line coach here at Cincinnati. Um, and he just, he just raved about his leadership. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, he's not the most vocal of guys, but he works his tail off. Um, and he, he, he really is one of those, you know, leadership, uh, by example, guys that. Um, he's very coachable. You tell him this and he's got it. He's not one of those guys where um, you got to tell him one, two, three, four times. And then finally he'll get it. Um, he's super, super coachable. And I mean, you, you brought up a great point. He's, he's, he's going into a position. I mean, a, a situation um, in Cleveland that has, I, I don't know, I would say maybe the, the second or third best roster um, in the AFC. I mean, the Browns are freaking stacked. Um, and if they can get consistent quarterback play um, this season, I mean, I, I think they're I would I would make the argument that they're the, uh, the biggest challenger to the Chiefs in that in that in that conference. Um, but I, I say that because I think it's a great spot for James to go. He's learning and having to, the ability to learn from the best in the game. And he's not going to be expected to be a tremendous impact player right away. Um, but you're getting a guy who's extremely talented physically, um, great feet, great hands, quick athletic, um, has the capabilities of being an impact player right away, but he's not going to be able to be, to ask, to be asked of that, right? Like he's going to have time to develop and learn and grow. And, and when you're facing miles Garrett and in that defense night in and night out or day in and day out in practice, you're, you're either going to improve or you're going to get left behind and off the roster. And he's a guy that he'll improve. And, and he, so he's he's um, at six five three twenty 20 or whatever he is. Um, he doesn't move like it. He's, he's very quick. And again, if if, if we were talking about a, a, a kid who was coming out of Alabama or maybe even if he had stayed at Michigan um, and his career worked out there, you know, we're probably talking about a second round pick. So yeah. um, it's a, it was a steal for the Browns. And, I you know, I think we were all shocked here in Cincinnati um, to see him go as late as he did. But kudos to the Browns for, for seeing, you know, qualities in James and, and, and stealing him late.
1: Yeah, a lot of the things you're saying there, the Browns echoed, especially about being stunned he was there at pick 110 when they were up and how eager they were to grab him. And I know you just gained some fans, Keith, with those Brown comments, so hopefully you can uh, hopefully you can handle some of them people flooding to your timeline. He's at Mr. Keith Jenkins on Twitter. He does fantastic work for Cincinnati.com, the Inquirer down there on the Cincinnati Bearcats, not just football, basketball. Comprehensively, he does it all. And I, uh, I really appreciate you, Keith, taking some time for us up north here, man.
0: My man, appreciate it. And don't hold it against me, guys. I'm, I am a Bengals fan, but I got <laughs> Cleveland. My pops is a Browns fan. And so um, I root for you guys, just not two weeks out of the year.
1: <laughs> it's, I think it's a lot of the same. We just don't want Pittsburgh and Baltimore to take too much shine. So we try to keep 100%. it in 100%. All right. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> All right. Take care. And that's a wrap for part one. I really hope you guys enjoyed this the way I did interviewing these folks. We will have more to come in part two where we take a look at Tommy Togiai, Richard LeCount, Tony Fields, and Demetric Felton from those who covered him and experienced talking to those young men. I think it's a really unique opportunity to learn more about these guys the browns draft because these guys become part of the family of players we talk about non-stop it's a big part of andrew barry's resume all of it it's it's really really fun to learn about who these guys are beyond just the shoulder pads and the production on the field so i hope you enjoyed part one again we will be back with part two next week i hope you've enjoyed the last week of podcasts some fun great guests on jake trotter jeff lloyd among many others john colosimo my good friend as well uh yeah it's been a blast the live pods are up Pretty much every day of the week, we'll come back Sunday night. Hopefully you have a great, great Friday and a great weekend and a great Mother's Day. Tell your mother you love her. Spend some time with her. Uh, That's all that matters. Spend time with them and tell them you love them and, and spend time with your family, too, guys. Have a great weekend. As usual, connect with me on Twitter, whatever you need. And until we talk next time, go Browns. This is the
0: story of the one.